Becker's Hospital Review is committed to delivering our audience safe access to vital educational opportunities. With this in mind, our 11th annual meeting will be in virtual format for the first time. Whether in the home or workplace, attendees will have access to sessions where industry leaders will be discussing the most pressing issues in healthcare, including the rise of virtual care, addressing clinician burnout, and delivering on-price transparency. To learn more, click on the conference tab at beckershospitalreview.com. This is Scott Beck with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by Kate Becker. Kate's the CEO of University of New Mexico Hospitals Health System. It's a great leader. Excited to talk about Kate today about her career journey, about UNM hospitals, and a lot more. Kate, can you take a moment to introduce yourself? Oh, thanks, Scott. Um, yeah, I'm Kate Becker. I'm the CEO for UNM Hospitals. Um, we're located in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I've been in this role going on three years, um, and it's wonderful, frankly. And, and tell us about UNM hospitals and sort of points of pride in the health system. Talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. So um, University of New Mexico Hospitals actually has uh, a few different identities. We started as the Bernalillo County Indian Hospital, and so we still have a very strong relationship with our Native American communities um, and are proud to support them. We then became the Bernalillo County Medical Center, and we are the safety net hospital for Bernalillo County, so we're very proud of that. And we then became the University of New Mexico Hospital, which we are today, so we are the teaching hospital for the state's School of Medicine. Um, and in that role, um, there's a few things that are unique about us. Um, New Mexico is a very big state geographically. It's the fifth largest in land mass in the country, but it is not very populated. So about half the population of the state lives in the Albuquerque metropolitan area, and the rest is very dispersed. And so because Albuquerque is kind of the population center, um, we at UNM Hospitals are the folks who are the only children's hospital. We are the only level one trauma center in the state. Um, we just became the first comprehensive stroke center in the state. Uh, we are the children's psychiatric center for the state. So we're kind of a lot of um, one or onlys with specialty and subspecialty services so that New Mexicans can receive health care in New Mexico. And they don't have to travel to Denver or Phoenix or Texas for that kind of care. So we're really proud to be able to do that. So magnificent. And can you talk to us a little bit about there's so many interesting subjects, um, but talk about your career because you spent a lot of time in SSM, Magnuson Health System. You also have a law degree from a place that I had the privilege of teaching as an adjunct professor at for a little bit of time at, at law school. Tell us a little oh, bit wow. about your career and how you ended up, you know, out in New Mexico. It's not the normal career path for somebody from the Midwest or at least who, who lived in there for some time and, and so forth. And tell us a bit about your career path. Yeah, so a couple of things um, in terms of of professions and uh, kind of career path. So I went to law school. I, I loved law school and lawyering and uh, practiced as a medical malpractice defense attorney and did that at a few different firms in Houston and then in St. Louis, Missouri. And then I had little kids, right? And so I wanted to move into a more, um, I guess, less travel and more at home. Uh, role. 
So I went in-house as a lawyer uh, at St. Louis University. And while I was there, I went back to school and got my master's in public health and ended up just spending a lot of time um, working with physicians and hospitals and hospital relationships because of that work. And so I was offered the opportunity um, at St. Louis University to become the CEO of SLUCARE, which is the faculty practice plan for the physicians of the university. And did that for a few years. That was my first experience in uh, physician leadership. And it was really exciting. It was wonderful. Um, and I moved away from the legal world and into uh, the world of healthcare administration with that. And then I was fortunate enough um, because of that work to spend a lot of time working with the folks at SSM Health because SSM and Tenant were the owners of the various hospitals where St. Louis U had physician practices and residency programs. And so SSM had reached out and asked if I would be interested in moving over to hospital administration. So I did. Um, and I became, excuse me, <clears throat> I became the uh, president of St. Mary's Hospital in St. Louis, which was a, actually the hospital where I was born. Um, and it was a just a really wonderful, um, the people, the place, and the work it was a way to uh, use a lot of the communication skills that you develop as a lawyer and a lot of the understanding of, of the legal ways that things work in a really practical way that helps support the delivery of healthcare at the bedside. So it was really fulfilling and really um, just a great way to use a variety of um, things I had been taught and things I had learned um, over the years working with physicians and, and healthcare providers. And then I moved over to Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. Um, and then when SSM bought St. Louis University Hospital from Tenet, I moved over there. Um, and like UNM on the adult side, SLU Hospital is an adult level one trauma center, um, academic teaching hospital, uh, serves a very diverse population. And uh, as as our kids grew and were all launched, uh, they're all over the country now. Um, my husband and I started thinking about, you know, where did we want to live? And my dad actually is from Albuquerque. Um, that's where he grew up. And so I had been out here a lot uh, when I was younger, and it just has a great outdoor lifestyle, biking, skiing, hiking. It's, it's a wonderful place. And when the past CEO of UNM Hospitals announced he was retiring, he had been in the job at that point for 21 years, I think. Um, we thought, well, you know, we better apply because if we don't, it'll be another 20 years before this opportunity comes around. So here I am in Albuquerque and sort of doing hospital work, and it's been great. So what an amazing career, truly an amazing career. Talk a little bit. You, you had mentioned New Mexico is one of the states that has a magnificent Native American population. Talk a little bit about the relationship between Indian Health Services and UNM and so forth. You had mentioned that the hospital was originally founded sort of to serve Native Americans, at least one part of it was. And those relationships in some places are magnificent, some places are complicated. Talk about how is that going and, and you know, COVID-19 was particularly hard on the Native American populations. Talk a little bit about what some of you see in, in the fascinating state that is New Mexico. Yeah, so New Mexico is one of the most diverse states in the country. And we do have a very um, a significant Native American population. And so back in 1952, believe it or not, um, 
the County of Bernalillo and the Bureau of Indian Affairs through the Department of the Interior uh, came together and decided to create what became Bernalillo County Indian Hospital, what became us. And we are unique in terms of our relationship with the Indian Health Service because there is not an Albuquerque area Indian Health Service hospital. Um, it's us, right? So in Gallup, you have Gallup Indian Medical Center or in other parts of the country, IHS operates hospitals. Um, we are the hospital that is uh, through our 1952 contract that those you know visionaries from a long time ago put in place. Um, we are the hospital for services for IHS members in the Albuquerque area and beyond across the state. And so uh, we've had a great relationship with the IHS um, and we are a, a referral destination for both IHS facilities and the 638 facilities, which 638 is a legislative provision uh, under which the tribes or pueblos can create their own um, sort of subset of the IHS health services. And so they would run their own clinics and, and then refer folks to us from there. And so that's been great. We have a large um, Native American health services business unit here at the hospital. We provide navigation services. We meet in consultation with the IHS and the All Public Council of Governors twice a year. And uh, we're just very fortunate that um, the strong relationships built over decades um, are still really um, durable and sustainable. And particularly during COVID, you know, the, the Northwestern part of our state was hit very, very hard by coronavirus. The Navajo Nation and um, the folks living up near Farmington and, and over towards Gallup. And so we did see uh, quite a few of those patients brought in um, with COVID and we're, you know, we've adapted and, and flexed above our normal capacity for those patients and others. And been happy that we could be part of that response. What a magnificent mission. And in some ways, it's very, very heartening because in some places you have these, you know, we're supposed to be almost separate healthcare systems, separate, and they're supposed to be separate but equal. It seems like such a bad phrase. It goes back so many years, so many decades. And here, where your Native American population is working fully with UNM, probably avoid a lot of those problems of, of what's supposed to be a really anachronistic concept of separate but equal systems. It comes out of different reasons and good reasons that, that you know, at least at one point the tribes wanted for Indian health services. You're probably so healthy that you've got this fully integrated care system is my perspective, it's my sense. Yeah, it's, it's very uh, fortunate. I would say, you know, we've also integrated on the educational side. So uh, working with the IHS hospitals to figure out how we can provide, um, you know, residency programs and training experiences for medical students and residents in some of those facilities so that hopefully we're helping to create a workforce pipeline for New Mexico, um, but for not just the other hospitals of New Mexico, but the IHS hospitals as well. Magnificent. And you've had this great, great career. Take a moment on sort of three pieces of advice that you would give to other leaders trying to have great careers or, or, or trying to, or younger people trying to have great careers. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think there's a couple of things I've learned. One of them is um, you never know who's watching you do the work you do, but you can be assured somebody is. And 
most of the things I have done in my work have come from I was doing a job and somebody saw me doing that work and reached out and said, would you be interested in doing this additional work or expanding to this area, you know, um, becoming the CEO at Care, moving over to SSM, all of those things came from people seeing me in a job I was already in. And I think sometimes uh, when you're younger, you're so focused on thinking about what the next job is that you maybe forget to be as attentive as would be most helpful to the job that you are in. People do notice you. They do pay attention when work is well done. And they do think about opportunities that may be available to you. People will reach out to you. And so one thing I would strongly encourage people to do is do a really good job at what you're doing because it matters. People will notice it. The other thing I would, I would say is um, one of the things that has been a really positive experience for me throughout my career has been interacting with other people who do similar work. And you do that through volunteering your time, volunteering um, to participate on committees or boards or cross collaborations, um, because healthcare is, believe it or not, a relatively small world. And we can all learn from each other because we've all had fairly similar experiences. And I think um, COVID is probably an excellent example of an entire business trying to figure out how to adapt. And we had to rely on each other. And it was, it was really wonderful for me to have other leaders and particularly other women leaders that I had met over the years at all kinds of different functions to be able to just touch base and say, how are you dealing with this? How are you adapting to that? And share things that we were doing. And I think that that's, that's something that sometimes you can shortchange yourself on in terms of devoting the time to it. It's hard to, you know, make the extra meeting or back in the day, do the travel to the conference or whatever it is. But but I think it's really important because it teaches you, you can learn from other people and you can give them the benefit of the experiences you've had. So I think that's the second thing. And then the last thing, and this one um, really speaks to how as you move through leadership, um, the, the type of work you do changes. Um, one thing I have learned, and it's been lucky for me kind of that I've progressed the way I have uh, through this work, I am 100% confident, and I mean 100%. I do not know as much as the people who are doing the work. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not a nurse. I'm not a doctor. I've never, you know, managed the facilities of an enormous physical plant. And being able to say that and say, tell me about this. Tell me what the obstacles are. Tell me how I can remove those for you. The, the best leadership skill is asking questions and really listening to the answers because people are happy to tell you. They will tell you what's going well. They will tell you what they need help with. They will tell you how something can be done better. And as a leader, your job really is to just listen and act on the things that you have the resources to, to do something about and be clear about when you don't. And that's another way COVID was a really good example of we were all confronted with something we couldn't fix. There was no cure for COVID. And we couldn't just say, okay, well, 
it'll be fine. The vaccine will be here tomorrow. Even at, at warp speed, it took a year to get a vaccine, and we're still working hard to get it distributed. So you have to acknowledge, okay, this is a thing we can't fix, but here are the things we can do. We can solidify our supply chain. We can make sure we have PPE available. We can make sure we have testing available. We can communicate constantly with you about what is going on, what we know, what we're working on, and what we're going to be able to do. And we can listen to you. What do you need? How can we support you? How can we help you get through this? Because COVID has been emotionally crushing, especially for folks who are parents and caregivers at the same time as they're trying to work here. And so, you know, how can we help? How can we support? And, and I think those are probably the three things I would say are the keys. Do what you're doing well. Meet other people who do what you do, even if they work somewhere else. And as you move into leadership, listen to the people you are leading and act in response to their concerns. Kate, I think fantastic advice. And on top of everything else, what a magnificent career and what a magnificent journey, I guess I, I, I should say a remarkable story of somebody coming from the Midwest to New Mexico, someone returning to the roots of New Mexico and now leading a magnificent health system there. What a magnificent career. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thank you.